You are now listening to the Bayshore Community Church Podcast. Our mission is to connect to God, connect to people, and to serve the community. Thank you for joining us today and wherever you are listening. We hope that this message inspires you, encourages you, and transforms you. Our prayer is that this is just the beginning of a conversation between you and Jesus. Enjoy the message. Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Bayshore, Millsboro, and... uh... That video, I wasn't a gamer, so I don't get all that, but uh, Nate Williams designed that for us. So anyhow, if you're a gamer, you appreciate that. So good to see you this morning. Glad you're here. And I'm so glad you came through the snow and the cold and staying up for playoff football. But you guys are here. What a great crowd we have this morning. Uh, great crowd at Femic Island this morning as well. So it's just so great to see people coming back to church this year. And I'm so glad that you're here with us this morning. <clears throat> we're in a series called Reset, and we're looking at ways to kind of reset our year this year to get started in a new way and kind of be on the right track for a new beginning. And we've been taking all of these messages out of the book of Micah in the Old Testament, which is one of those little minor prophets and just a great book with a lot of great uh, material in it. We talked the first week about treating each other fairly this year. Uh, He has shown you, O man, what is good and what the Lord requires of you to act justly to love mercy and to walk calmly with your God. That's in Micah chapter 6. Last week we talked about influence. Uh, who are you being influenced by this year? And your crowd will determine your character. And what type of influencer would you be this year? And today we're going to be talking about like re-looking at our values. We're going to be talking about materialism today a little bit. That's one of the themes that came up in the book of Micah. And we're going to talk about that a little bit as well and how that works. So Micah chapter 2 verses 1 and 2 is the text for this morning. Micah 2 verses 1 and 2. Uh, Micah the prophet, 700 years before Christ, writes these words. He says, Woe to those who plan iniquity, to those who plot evil on their beds. At morning's light they carry it out because it's in their power to do it. They covet fields and seize them and houses and take them. They defraud people of their homes and they rob them of their inheritance." So one of the things that's happening in Micah's day is you've got the rich and the powerful that are exploiting the weak and the not so affluent people. People are actually um, thinking about properties that they want to seize. And so these rich, influential people, people are taking the property of other, other individuals in Israel. And there's a lot of injustice going on. And so because of that, Micah the prophet rises up to talk about that. So one of the big issues that comes into the book of Micah is this idea. There is a sense of ritualistic worship. They are going to the temple. They're going through the motions. But spirituality is not authentic. They're not really, really serving the Lord and loving the Lord. It's a ritual to them. Just like some people today could just come to church because it's the thing to do. In Micah's day, people are just sort of going through making the sacrifices, but their hearts aren't really in love with Yahweh. They're not really loving the Lord and worshiping the Lord. I recently did a funeral for a a lady, very uh, affluent lady in our community. And uh, her daughter-in-law, I was doing a little interview with the family before the funeral, and her daughter-in-law came, uh, said that her mother-in-law that had just passed away that I was doing her funeral, uh, said that her mother-in-law once came in the house and she said, I'm in love, I'm in love, I'm in love. And 
Her daughter-in-law thought that was strange because her mother-in-law was married. And her mother-in-law said, I have found Jesus and I'm in love with Jesus. I thought, what a powerful thing to say, that she was in love with Jesus. In this day, in Micah's time, people are not really in love with Jesus. They're going to the temple, they're doing their thing, but Yahweh knows that their hearts are really not engaged in loving Jesus and, and loving the Lord. So here's what happens always. When spirituality goes down, materialism goes up. When spirituality goes down, when there's low fervor spiritually, there's always a renewed interest in materialism. And when spirituality is high, when people are really in love with the Lord, materialism goes down. And you always see this pattern in history, in times of great revival, when the Lord is moving and great things are happening, people don't care as much about materialism. But when things are low tide spiritually and things really aren't, you know, people aren't fervently worshiping the Lord, then this, this lust for material goods goes up. We see it in the uh, book of Acts. The book of Acts, we have the... Uh, day of Pentecost and the spirit of God falling. And we have people that are getting saved and we have people that are experiencing miracles and the apostles are teaching. They've been walking with Jesus and they know about Jesus. And all of these people in Jerusalem and Judea are in love with the Lord and things are moving powerfully. So what happens is they, they sell their possessions they sell their land. There's this interesting guy, rich guy named Barnabas who owned a lot of property and he sold land in order to give it to the apostles and he laid the, the money at the apostles' feet. So you see, when there's a great time of spirituality, materialism goes down. And in uh, Micah's day, because things are really low tide spiritually, people are thinking about stuff. They're thinking about more fields. They're thinking about bigger barns. They're thinking about greater business opportunities. And that's what's occupying them. And it's because it's a time of low spirituality. And because it's a time of low spirituality, materialism is really, really in vogue. And people are getting and getting more and more stuff. Now, when I think about materialism and things and houses and lands and all the stuff that uh, are a part of our lives. You know, one of the things I'm appreciative of, I'm appreciative of, of our Western culture. That in our Western culture, we have capitalism, where that means that if you hustle, and if you work hard, and you go after it, you can really raise up the elevation of your life. You can do better. Now, communism, you know, communism, when it was popular, had the completely opposite emphasis. Communism said that everybody should have the same. Doesn't matter how much you work, everybody's going to get the same car, the same size house, and wear the same clothes. And what happened is nobody was, had any incentive to do anything. So consequently, production went way down. So you've heard the, the joke about the guy that, and Russian guy that went to get a car. He wanted a car and went to the dealer and he said, well, there's a 10-year waiting list. And he said, well, I want a car and I'm going to wait 10 years to get the, the car. And so he paid the money for the car. And then he said to the, 
the auto dealer, is that, can I pick that car up in the morning or the afternoon? He said, sir, it's 10 years away. Why does it matter? He said, because the plumber's coming in the morning. So when you think about what's happening in communism, there's no incentive to produce anything. Because there's no incentive to produce anything, production goes down. So that means that in our Western world, we can start very low, we can go to college, we can work hard, we can start a business, and we can prosper. And that's a good thing. You know where that came from? That came from John Calvin, the reformer in Geneva. And that's in our heads as Americans. John Calvin taught that if God was with you, you would be blessed materialistically. And so therefore, there was this Protestant work ethic that was born. And that got into uh, our founding fathers. And the idea was that if you work hard, you have the work ethic of the Protestant work ethic, you will see God's material blessing on you. And so that's a good thing. When my mom started out her life, she was born in a little farmhouse. It's a little house she was born in. Uh, and it's across the field from where I grew up. That little farmhouse didn't have any running water, no running water at all. Uh, it had a hand pump. And some of you from Sussex County maybe are old enough to remember hand pumps. Do you remember a hand pump? If you remember a hand pump, raise your hand. Hand pump was where you had to pour water in the top of the pump and you had to pump it to get water out. And as a little boy, that was the most fascinating thing for me that I, you know, went to my grandmother's house and I would, I would prime the pump and I would get water out to get a glass of water. We didn't have, in that little house, there was no uh, indoor bathroom. There was an outhouse. And as a little kid, you know, I was fascinated. You go to the outhouse and that's where you go to the bathroom. And there's a Sears and Roebuck catalog there. I wonder what that was for. But anyhow, you got this whole thing, you know, and that was where my mom started. Had a little farm, and at Christmas time, to make money, they would make wreaths, and their hands would be cut, and they would be covered with sap. They made wreaths in order to get Christmas presents. So when my mom married my dad, my dad came from a, a little house as well, a little tiny house on uh, alternate 13 between Laurel and Seaford, little tiny house. His dad was the, the Laurel cop, worked for the police department in town. He also sold cars, and my dad didn't come from money either. But when he got out of high school, he got a job at DuPont's. And he started making money. My, he and my mom got married. My mom worked, and they started working and working, and they got their first house. They got their very first house. And they kept working. And after 15 years working at DuPont's, my dad uh, was called in the ministry. He left his job at DuPont's just short of getting his pension. And so when he went in the ministry, he didn't make a lot of money. So he started buying properties. And he began to fix these properties up. He'd buy an old house and he would divide it in half and make two apartments out of it. He'd take an old, uh, old rundown house and he would refurbish it. So he has about seven or eight rentals that he bought when he got in the ministry and he would fix them up. And now my dad is 86 years old and all that money from those rentals take care of him. And that's a wonderful picture, a wonderful picture of capitalism. 
So how did you start out? Karen and I started out. We were so poor when we got married. You know, we got married. We were so poor that, you know, you're supposed to pay the preacher. The preacher gave us money. It was so bad. And we lived in a mobile home. We lived in three mobile homes, and, and uh, sometimes people at the beach live in a mobile home. Maybe you live in a mobile home now. Nothing wrong with that. But how many have lived in a mobile home at some time in your life? Just raise your hand. From Sussex County. I don't think you can have one now unless you have 100 acres or something. And then when we moved here, we lived in this mobile home next to the church for five years. And a uh, big old rat one time gnawed its way into the mobile home. And we had a rat running around the house. And we had a little uh, piece of plywood at the door so the rat couldn't get under, you know, because we had Tim in there with us. So five years living in a mobile home. And then we got our first house. Our first house. I can't believe it. We saved up $4,000 to put a down payment on a house and paid $61,000 for a first house. I walked in that house. It was uh, under, four, under 1,500 square feet, three bedrooms, a kitchen, living room, and it was real small. And I thought I was living in a mansion. How many remember your first house? And I remember how good that felt. That felt so incredibly good. And then we lived there for 15 years and raised our, our boys. And then after 15 years, I had, my mid, I had my midlife crisis and we built a bigger house. And the ironic thing was, it was about the time the kids were moving out and we didn't need a bigger house. And we lived in that house and we've been there for 20 years. House is all paid for and all that. But you know what? I love capitalism. You can work hard. And there are some couples here that you have burned the midnight oil. You have worked hard and you have accumulated things and you've raised the standard of your life. My kids are living better than I am. How many have kids that they're living better than you? My kids are living better. We started, you know, way on the western side of a county. We ended up here. My boys are living at the beach now. They have houses at the beach. And our grandkids are going to have yachts on the ocean, I'm sure. <laughs> We're moving in the right direction. And so that's a good thing. But materialism can become a problem. See, there is, a, there is this thing in Scripture. Scripture is universally true about this. Scripture is absolutely clear about this. That there is a place that God has given us good things to bless us with. But here's the one caveat. Materialism and wealth can never be primary in our life. It can never be primary in our life. In fact, we can't even be an authentic disciple of Jesus if materialism is authentic in our life. If it's the number one thing in our life, we can't be a Christian. We can't follow the Lord. And it says this, it's in the uh, Gospel of Matthew, Gospel of Mark, Gospel of Luke, the story of the rich young ruler, the rich young ruler. Now, this story tells me that money and materialism has to be subservient to the Lord in your life. And this guy comes to Jesus, he's rich. He's the Elon Musk of his day. Elon Musk, I read yesterday, 
$252 billion. How many know that's a lot of money? This guy is the Elon Musk of the day. He's already made it. He's got everything. He's not trying to get it. He's already got what you're trying to get. But something's missing. And it's missing in his heart. And if he was satisfied with his wealth, he would not have sought Jesus out. But he sought Jesus out. Same thing with... uh, Zacchaeus, remember Zacchaeus, the tax collector? He wasn't a tax collector. He was a manager of tax collectors. And it says in Luke 16, he was very wealthy. But when Jesus came to Jericho, Zacchaeus, because he was a wee little man, climbed up a tree in order to see Jesus. And if you're happy, you're not going to climb up a tree. He wasn't happy. There was something missing. And the same thing with the rich young ruler. Jesus said, you know, keep the commandments. Just keep the commandments. And Jesus names the second side of the Decalogue of the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments are divided five and five. The second part of the Decalogue or the Ten Commandments is about people, how we treat people. You you shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall honor your mother and father, and all you shall not murder. And those are the ones that Jesus named. And the man was perplexed. He said, I've kept all these things since I was a young boy. I've kept all these things. What yet do I lack? Something's missing in his life. And Jesus said, what's one thing you lack? Just one thing. All you have to do to satisfy that emptiness inside and to be a real disciple of mine is to sell everything you have. The Elon Musk, $252 billion. You have to liquidate it all and take care of the poor and come and follow me and you'll be my disciple. And one of the gospels says that Jesus looked at the man and loved him. Jesus loved this man because he was sincere And the Bible says he went away sadly because he had a lot of wealth. And he could not be a disciple of Jesus because money and materialism were primary in his life. And you cannot be a disciple of Jesus. Jesus said it emphatically explicitly, not implicitly. He said it explicitly. You cannot love both God and money. Paul, in his letter to Timothy, chapter 6, he said, many have wandered from the faith because they wanted to become rich. So this is a perplexing thing. And so materialism is a big issue in the Scriptures. And on one hand, it argues that we can work hard and to all hard work, there's a profit. And that's a good thing. And so we see the balance of that. But then we see that it can never become the primary thing in our life. And it's that the primary thing in our life, we cannot be a disciple of Jesus. So here's the question. How do I know if I am a materialist? How do I know if I am a materialist? How how do I know if I am what is happening in the book of Micah? How do I know that? Well, there's there's two 
uh, test to look at, two-point test to look at if you're a materialist. Number one is, if you're a materialist, you can't give. You can't give. You're stopped up with your generosity. You can't give. Like the man that had everything he couldn't give because he was a materialist. A person that is not, it's not how much you have. It is what you have under the lordship of God and the lordship of Jesus. And that's the test. Can I give? Can I give? You know, maybe you're tithing, giving, and all that. And if Jesus is Lord of your life, he taps you on the shoulder and he says to give. If you're not a materialist, you can surrender your resources. This year in October at our Rehoboth campus, there's a rich man there. We have some rich guys in our church and grateful for people of different stratus of society. He's sitting in church one Sunday and he's listening to Joel preach and he's been through the worship. And this guy's got all these assets in Rehoboth, and the Spirit of God tapped him on the shoulder. And the Spirit of God said, I want you to give $100,000. $100,000. I want you to tell Pastor Joel, at the end of the service, you give him $100,000. And anybody that gives or anybody that gives to that, you'll match it. So, in other words, if, you, if they raise $100,000 on top of the $100,000, they'll have $200,000 by December. So this guy went to Joel. Actually, he didn't go to Joel. He called Jeremy on the phone, and he had one of his voice disguisers, so you couldn't hear his voice. He had, you know, where you didn't know who he was. He was very, very discreet about giving. And he gave $100,000, and that, that little campus down there, from October to December, to get the matching thing, they didn't raise $100,000. They raised $105,000. They had $205,000 at the end uh, of December. Because a guy... A guy that's rich, a guy that had resources, he had resources, but those resources were subservient to the Lord. And when the Lord tapped him on the shoulder, because he wasn't a materialist, he, should get, he could give. You don't have to be rich to be a materialist. You can be like just an average guy, an average person and be materialistic. And you can't give. So a person that is not a materialist has generosity and they can give. The second test is a person that's not a materialist can take a break and can rest. Can take a break and rest. See, if you're a materialist, you got to keep working. You got to work all the time. You got to be a workaholic. You got to watch the competition. You got to watch the other businesses. You got to keep working because somebody's going to catch up with you. And you keep working and keep working and keep working, and you can never take a break. But a person's not a materialist. They, they work hard, they do their part. But then at the end of the day, they know it's the Lord that's got their back. The Lord's going to take care of them. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. That means when you work your five days or whatever you work, you take off days. You take some time off. And I see these young guys and they're like doing the business thing. And man, they're doing, everybody's around them and they're going and they never, they work 80 hours a week, 80 hours a, a day or 80 hours a week. And they keep working, 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 and they can't take a break and they can't because they're afraid somebody else is going to catch up with them. God put it in his system that we take a Sabbath. So you work, 
You do your job, man. You work at it. You go after it. You hustle. When it comes to your day off, you take a day off and you do nothing. Sometimes I get my sermon, I get my sermon ready early in the week. And, you know, work, I got meetings and stuff. And sometimes I'll get to Thursday and this, I think this, this, this is a loser sermon. This sermon is a loser. This is like akin to the Texas Chainsaw Massacre movie. This is going to be a bad sermon. And I'm tempted to work on Friday because this thing's a, it's a, it's a going to be a bust. It's going to be embarrassing. Nobody's going to get anything. But I take Friday off. And I'm, my work's not done, man. Whew, it's, it's a mess. I take off. Karen and I go out to eat. I play tennis in the morning. We got to eat. Go walk on the beach. Sometimes we'll go to a movie. Sometimes I'll sit in a chair while she's in Marshalls just collecting things, you know, buying things. <laughs> Loading carts up, you know, a couple at a time, you know. I cannot tell you how many times. When I'm off on Friday, that I don't hear the Holy Spirit speak to me about what I should say on Sunday. And it's when I'm relaxed and when I'm obeying the Sabbath and I'm taking time off that God speaks to me. Your business is not your business, your company is not your company. You lay that at the feet of the Lord and say, Lord, this, you are Lord of this company, and I'm going to work my tail off. I'm going to work hard. But when it comes to take time off, I'm taking time off. I remember when I first started in ministry here, man, I just, I'm not, I wasn't very good. I'm not great now. I'm just trying to get better at it, you know. And I remember I was so bad. I could, I could sing a little bit, and sermons were disjointed, didn't make any sense, no beginning, no ending. And I remember I got one week, and it was just, oh, man, I had so much to do. And I got to Friday, and I said, I'm taking off. And so I took my boys fishing. We go up to Millsburg Pond, and I'm sitting there with my boys Little did I know that the local newspaper took a picture of me and the boys fishing, and they put it on the front page of the picture. And here's a picture of it, and it says, a rough life, a rough life. <laughs> me sitting there by the pond, and I thought, well, there's, there's Joel eating a sandwich, and there's Tim sitting next to me. If you look closely, I got a hole in my tennis shoe. And we're sitting there fishing. A rough life. You know, we're always, we're always like, got to keep working, got to keep working, got to keep working. You know, somebody said once, if people really paid attention to what really matters in this world, there'd be a shortage of fishing poles. And I believe that working hard, taking time off is a sign that you're not a materialist. I was preaching this at Fenwick this morning, and I could see the business guys there. I got business guys that are sitting there, and they're like after it. And you know what the problem is? And this was the problem in Micah's day. It wasn't that they had stuff. It wasn't that there were rich people. It was that they were worried about what other people had, and they were taking other people's land. And that's what gets people in trouble materialistically. We're not content with our journey. 
We're always looking at what our neighbor or our friend, they got a bigger car or they got a bigger house and they got something. And we're after that. And we're like, oh my gosh, what have they got? And then we work, we go too much and we work too hard and, and we're not given because we're all bound up and we're not taken off because we got to catch up with the Joneses. Dave Ramsey says, we buy things we don't need with money we don't have to impress people we don't like. Don't worry about what the Joneses have. Don't worry about what other people have. You live your life. You walk your path. John 21 records how Jesus was talking to Peter at Galilee after his resurrection. He said, Peter, when you get old, they're going to tie your hands up and they're going to lead you where you don't want to go. And Peter listened to that word from Jesus, and then he looked at John. He said, well, what about John? And Jesus said, well, if I want John to remain alive until I return, what's that to you? You follow me. It's none of our business what other people have. It's none of our business what people we graduate from college has. It's none of our business our mission is to live our life in a balanced way, to work hard, to be faithful, and to do our job, but to take time off and worship the Lord and take money out of your pocket and invest it in the kingdom of God because you're not a materialist. You're not a person that lives under the auspices of finding your meaning in life in materialism. I wanted to quote you a great theologian Madonna, if I can find it here. Madonna was interviewed a number of years ago. She's the self-proclaimed materialistic girl. And I would not say Madonna is the greatest spiritual model for all of us to follow. But she said this, and she's got the money already. She's already got it. She's got the fame. And she said, money is like everything. Money is like sex. It's like food. They're all manifestations of God. They're blessings that we get, but they, they're not what's going to make us happy. They're not real. They don't last. There's only one thing that lasts, and that's your soul. And if you don't work on that, you don't pay attention to that, then all the money in the world is not going to help you. And at the end of the interview, Madonna conceded, that she's looking for answers. She said, it's not there. It's not there. Why is Zacchaeus in a tree? What are you doing in a tree? You've got all that money. He's in the tree because it didn't satisfy him. Uh, John D. Rockefeller, the founder of Standard Oil, uh, was the richest man in the world in his day. And he, uh, he was asked, how much money is enough? And he said, just a little bit more. I haven't quite got enough money to satisfy my soul. So the kingdom of God, if you read it carefully, if you dive down and you read what the New Testament says, greed is always listed in the big sins, the next two, sexual immorality and adultery, and greed is right there in that big list. 
And greed is not, it's not about getting stuff and working hard and being successful. It's about always being unsettled and wanting what somebody else has. Every Sunday I drive here from Fenwick Island. I drive through Selbyville on the way back and I turn down Cemetery Road that takes me out to 113. And Cemetery Road is called Cemetery Road because there's a cemetery there. And I was riding down there one morning on the way here and it's got a little brick wall. Some of you have been down that road and there's a cemetery. I've done, I think, a funeral in that graveyard, maybe more, I can't remember. I was riding there one day, riding by that cemetery road, and I looked at the cemetery. And I heard the Lord say to me, all those people are out of time. All those people are out of time. They worked hard. And Billy Graham says, I've never seen a hearse pulling a U-Haul on the way to a graveyard. Because the irony, Proverbs says, money and wealth sprouts wings and flies away. You say, is that true for me? It's true. For every one of us, there's nobody that can duck that reality. You can't take it with you, and you won't take it with you. But there'll be people sitting at your funeral or your memorial service, and I hope when I leave this world, my sons are sitting in that service, and they remember that one day when their dad was busy, he trusted the Lord. He worked as hard as he could, but he trusted the Lord, but he took time to go fishing. Leo Tolstoy wrote a short story called How Much Land is Enough Land? Tolstoy says that there was this peasant that didn't have any land, and he was always frustrated because his few sheep and his cow would get off in the neighbor's property who owned the land. He'd have to pay a fine. And so one day through a lot of conniving, he figured out a way to buy 40 acres of land. And he thought he would be happy after he had the 40 acres, but there were still some complications. And then he was able to move a little bit and he bought 125 acres. And that was good, but he was struggling. He wanted more land to raise more crops and he heard about on the Russian steppes, there was a, a Russian chief that was selling all the land you could walk around for a thousand rubles. So he traveled to this place at the Russian steppes and he brought this chief some gifts. And the, he asked the chief to explain and said, well, here's how it works. We only sell land by the day. And for a thousand rubles, you can have as much land as you can walk around in a day. 
And so he was thrilled. And so the next morning he got up early and the chief took off his fur cap and he set it on the ground and he, and the peasant put his thousand rubles there. And the chief said, the goal is, and the rule is you have to be back here before sunsets or you lose your thousand rubles. So the peasant went off with great fervor and joy and he walked, he got to lunchtime and he thought this is the best land and he thought I'm going to try to go a little further and he walked further and he was told that every time he made a turn he would take the shovel and dig a little hole there and pile up some dirt and that would be the corner of his land and then he, he took a left and he went to square off the land and he went as far as he could the land was so good and finally he made that, that second marking and then he's headed toward home plate and he sees the sun beginning to set and he's rushing and he's running because if he doesn't get back he's going to lose his thousand rubles and he's not going to get any land and the sun is setting it's almost dark and he can see that they're on a hill where he started and so he's running up the hill his heart is beating and he gets finally to the fur cap and he reaches out and he touches the fur cap and he has a heart attack and Tolstoy said that blood was coming out of his mouth and they took his shovel and they dug a six by six grave and they buried it in it and Tolstoy said that's how much land a man needs that's how much land a man needs in Micah's day they wanted more and more and more and here's the irony they were stealing people's land and then 40 years later the Babylonians came and conquered the land and took the land from them it was never their land it was never their land. Would you lift your hands to the Lord this morning? God's raising up a, a people in our community that are Jesus' first people, people that love Jesus, people that recognize that we're not to use people, we're to use things to bless people. Father God, as we reset our values this year, we pray that you'll help us to have a heart to please you and to honor you. That, Lord God, let spirituality go up so materialism will go down in our hearts. Lord, we thank you. We don't have to buy everything we see on Amazon when our heart's full of the Holy Spirit. We can be at peace and be content. Help us, Lord, and bless us, we pray, as we reset these values. And everybody say with me this, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. Amen and amen, amen. Thank you so much for joining us on the Bayshore Podcast. I want to encourage you to take this message you just received and allow it to go deep into your soul and let Jesus do the deep work that only he can do. A special thanks to everyone that gives generously to Bayshore. It's because of you that this ministry is possible, creating life change all over the world. You can be a part of spreading the message around the world by going to bayshore.online and clicking give. For all things Bayshore, visit bayshore.online to find out what your next step may be. You can subscribe right here and share this podcast with your friends and family. Thank you again for listening. God bless you.